0: You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. All right, this
1: week's sermon text comes from Luke 18, 1 through 8 Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him, saying, "'Give me justice against my adversary.' For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, "'Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming.' Then the Lord said, "'Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them?' I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. This is God's word.
0: All right. Alright, good morning. My name is Aaron, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross, and uh, it's it's always a joy to um, be able to be together, to be able to um, open the scriptures and worship together and, and just Gather as God's people. As Chad said, we're we're continuing in the series on the parables of Jesus. We've, um, you know, we hit a lot of the, the greatest hits. You know, the um, parable of the sower, good Samaritan, um, prodigal son. We've gotten those. Um, one thing that I thought was you know, kind of conspicuously absent from the series was was the focus on prayer. There's a few parables. To choose from a few different places that Jesus teaches on, on prayer, and we can obviously learn from from all of those. Um, you know, when He gives the Lord's prayer in, in Matthew chapter six, He he talks about you know not praying like hypocrites; they just do it for show. They just they care what other people think about them. Um, or pray like Gentiles, where where you you want to pile up phrases and you think that the more words you say, or if you say the right words, that gets God to do what you want. Um, But of this parable, of the persistent widow, I think is is really helpful for us, that we would always pray and not give up. We would be persistent. You know, even as we we sang our our first song, you know, the the line in there of what peace for those whose confidence is him alone. That's why we can pray and, and not give up because our confidence is in God alone. You know, Jesus, in this parable, you know, if the unjust judge does what is right, how much more will our God, who is just, how much more he, will he do what's right? So um, Luke, as he's writing this, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was inerrant. So I'm just going to copy his main idea. You know, verse 1, it says he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. So that's my main idea for us. You need to pray always and not give up. So just a little little bit about where we're going. So first, we're gonna look at the parable. We're gonna look at the judge. Sorry, excuse me. Look at the judge. Look at the widow. Look at Jesus's explanation. And then we're gonna use the parable to, to answer two questions: How do we pray always, and why should we not give up? As we know, the reason we should not give up is is because of Jesus, because he didn't give up. He had so many chances but he lived his life perfectly. Never sinned, never fell short. All the way to the cross, died, gave up his life. And that's what drives us. That's why we should not give up. That's why we should pray always, because of who he is, because of his love. So before we dive into the text, I'm I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that, that you are just. We thank you that we can trust you that we can have confidence in you. We can rest in you. I pray that you would help us to do that this morning. Help me to do that. Rest in, rest my confidence in, in you alone, not in any of my own strengths or preparation or anything, Lord, but, but you. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would soften all of our hearts and help us to hear from you as you would teach us from your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen alright so looking at the parable starting in verse 2 Jesus introduces the judge He says there's a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people that's kind of the opposite of the type of person that we should be you know Luke chapter 10 in the Good Samaritan says the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind strength love your neighbor as yourself this judge is the opposite of that right he doesn't fear God he doesn't respect people He's this total villain, total anti-hero, kind of. Judges in this day, their, their job, you know, similar to, to judges today, their, their job is to hear cases and, and make sure the law is followed. The law in, in this day is, is more religious, but there's still civil aspects involved. When, when God set up the law for his people, he made special provisions for widows. Widows are some of the most vulnerable people in society. Their husband has died, and if they don't have an adult son, they don't have, you know, a man to, to vouch for them in the, in the community. Um, and so, so God set up the law where wit- widows would have special provisions to, to always be heard by judges. And so this widow can come to this judge, and every time the judge has to hear her case. And that's what she does, right? We don't get the same, you know, character qualifications of, like like Jesus gave for the judge, but he does highlight her, her persistence. This widow in that town kept coming to the judge. She had a simple plea, give me justice against my adversary. That language of give me justice against my adversary, that's, that's similar to a lot of David's psalms where, where he wants justice and vengeance against his enemies. So, this widow is, is being attacked there's injustice to, to her and she's pleading her case one of the commentators in talking about this passage he, he kind of portrayed this this widow as, as like a, a Karen you know that, that meme of the women that are, that are always complaining always trying to speak to the manager because their food is a little late or something like that They're, they always have something to complain about that's not the impression I get here I think of, of this pestering as, as a positive pestering right? She's, she's fighting for justice. Reminds me of, um, of the civil rights movement. And uh, one of the first major sit-ins was in Greensboro, you know, not too far from here. Um, February 1st, 1960, four students were refused service at a Woolworths department store. Um, they were able to buy stuff from the department store, but they were not able to, to buy lunch at the counter because they were black. And so they they were refused the lunch, they they didn't leave, they sat there. And then more and more students got involved and and it got news coverage and and soon like all the seats of the lunch counter were taken and the lunch was was losing money, they started boycotting the department store. And finally, five months later, july twenty fifth, they finally desegregated the lunch counter. They persisted. That was positive pestering to to get justice done. Another example fresh on our minds is um, sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Some, some survivors like Krista Brown, Jennifer Lyle, they pestered the executive committee to hear their case, to give them justice because they were abused and their abusers were still serving in churches. They just went to another church and the executive committee said we can't do anything because we don't have authority over these churches. They could have done something. She persisted and through the the will of the messengers coming and basically forcing the executive committee, now we're starting finally to see 15, 20 years after Krista Brown first came to the executive committee, finally starting to see justice going. It's positive pestering that, that is able to make things more just. So, similar to those students similar to Crystal Brown this widow finally wore down the, the judge right, we see in, in verse 4 for a while he was unwilling but later he said to himself even though I don't fear God or respect people because this widow keeps pestering me I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming so completely in his own self interest because she keeps pestering me I'm tired of getting pestered I'll do the right thing I think we should look for opportunities like that, too, to, to get people to act in their own self-interest to do the right thing. Think of politicians that, you know, they just, they just want to get reelected, right? Maybe we can convince them that doing the right thing will help them get reelected, that kind of thing. Other opportunities, companies that maybe underpay and exploit their employees, maybe we can convince them that you know, the high turnover rate that they have is is actually worse for their company. That kind of thing where where good things, just things can, can be that we can convince them because of, um, yeah, because of our positive pestering, because of our persistence. So we see the judge and the widow, and then verses six through eight, we see Jesus kind of explaining this parable. There's this idea of, of how much more, right? We, we see that with, um, you know, God being a good father. If, if our kids ask us for bread or, or eggs, we're not going to give them a scorpion or a snake, right? And, and how much more will our good father give us good gifts? That same kind of idea is here. If this unjust judge does the right thing, how much more will our God, who is ultimately just, how much more will he do the right thing? How much more will he grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? how much more will he not delay in helping them? So if we're crying out to God day and night with our burdens, we can trust that he will swiftly give us justice. This question remains in, in verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will will he find faith on the earth? Will we persist? Will we pray always and, and not give up? Let's leave that, that question in. And transition a little bit to answering those questions of what does it look like to pray always and how do we not give up? And how do we pray always and, and why do we not give up? So first, we're going to look a little bit about about prayer. Look through the scriptures and and um, pull out some examples of, of what prayer is. Early in the, the Bible, as the as God's people are, are kind of getting to know God, they they're learning more and more about his, his character. A lot of times they're, they're crying out to him in desperation, in passion, passionate desperation, reaching out to God. They have later in the Bible through the Psalms and um, the Shema in Deuteron- Deuteronomy 6, there's, there's formulaic truth, and then ultimately Jesus brings us to, to knowledgeable intimacy. So we'll, we'll kind of go through that progression. Passionate, desperation, formulaic truth, and knowledgeable intimacy. Tim Keller in in a book called Prayer. He says the clearer, clearer our understanding of who God is, the better our prayers. So as we see throughout the Bible and as we know in our own experience, the the more that we know God, the better we get to know him, the more intimate we become with him and his character, the better our prayer is. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably have biblical phrases just kind of floating around in your prayers. You know, may the Lord bless us and keep us and make his face shine on us. You know, I pray that my brother in Christ would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that he may approve what is excellent. Those kind of phrases that are pretty much directly from the Bible just come in, into our prayers as we, as we know the Bible, as we know God. So that's kind of the the goal that we want to get to. But first, let's look at passionate desperation. You might be here where you don't really know God but but you know that you need him cuz you have burdens and and you fall short. You know even even atheists pray in their in their desperate situation. They don't believe in a god, but they know that they need help. It's something is too big for them. You know it's a it's a joke in in sitcoms when people try to make deals with God. They're like, "I promise I won't do this bad thing anymore if if only you'll do this." That kind of desperation we can we can start out there in our in our prayer. If we don't know those clear truths about God, we just plead in our passion. A biblical example of this is is Abraham pleading for for Sodom, right? He's there's half a chapter in, in Genesis of Abraham going back and forth. God, are you are you just? Are you merciful? If there's fifty people in in Sodom that are righteous, will you spare the city? And and God says yes. And and then. God, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, one more time. If there's 45, you won't kill a city over five less righteous people, right? And there's this back and forth as Abraham is, is passionate in, in desiring to, for God's will to be done, but he doesn't know, right? He's, he's desperate for, for God. Later in the Bible, we, we see kind of formulaic truth, right? The, the Shema that I mentioned in, in Deuteronomy 6. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. There's a, a set of prayers that that Jews would recite three times a day, called the Amida. It was 18 benedictions that they would um, they would recite. All right, so that's that's truth, but it's it's a little formulaic. It's a little memorized. It could be done without passion. Another example of um, of this kind of. Memorized truth could be just memorizing singing the psalms. Those are truths about God, but they can be done without intimacy and without passion. And so Jesus, as he comes in the New Testament, he brings those together. He brings passionate desperation and formulaic truth, and he brings them together into knowledgeable intimacy. So Jesus gives us a new perspective on prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a lot of phrases that, that were in that Amidah, in the, those benedictions. You know, the, the idea of, of God being hallowed. The idea that we can address God as Father is, is new, right? In the Old Testament, they don't call God Father, right? They, they refer to him as, with fatherly characteristics, but, but Jesus, he makes a new way that we can, we can call out to God as, as our Father, our Father who is in heaven. We don't have to recite these benedictions. We don't have to say the perfect words, right? We can just know God and be intimate with him. We can ask him for our daily needs, our daily bread. And we can do this because of Jesus. All right? Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in the time of need. Jesus passed through the heavens, right? He is our great high priest. That's why we can come, that's why we can pray with boldness. So we can think of, of prayer like a, a triangle. I think we have, I made this wonderful graphic you guys can look at. I spent, you know, minutes on it. Um, so passion, desperation, and formulate truth, we can start on either end of those, but we want to put them together into knowledgeable intimacy where we have the passion and desperation for God. We have the truth from the scriptures. We also have the intimacy with God that we, we know him, we know his character. So we, that's how we, we pray. That's what prayer looks like working towards knowledgeable intimacy with God, what about praying always? Does that mean literally praying always, never stopping? No, it, of course not. We can't do that. You know, they, I mentioned that the Jews would, would recite the Amidah three times a day. Rabbis, in this, when they're teaching about that, they said that more than that would be monotonous for us and for God. Our God doesn't want to hear us saying the same things again and again. So it's, it's more about consistency, and intimacy than, than it is about constancy. Right, you can think of the difference between, you know, a fresh dating relationship versus a, a marriage. In a dating relationship you're maybe you're chatting back and forth and, and you're so worried about the tone and the um you know whether or not she's gonna be mad at me or whatever. I haven't heard from her from her all day. Is she mad? I don't I don't think those kind of things when I'm talking with Jess. Right. I don't I'm not worried that she's mad at me when we don't text all day it's just we're just busy so that kind of consistency that i know we're going to talk again i know we're going to work things out even if even if she is mad at me even if things are tight there's consistency that we're going to come back and we're going to work things out so that kind of idea of relationship with god that you know even if you're not always talking to him you know that you're going to talk to him again soon i actually had a uh, a guy in one of my classes that at seminary, that would end his prayers like that. Like, talk to you soon, God. I thought those so interesting. So we can um, we can build that consistency. We can pray always with with structured prayer and unstructured. So structured prayer, we have um, routines, systems, and plans. All right. So routines, as you go throughout your day, build prayer into that. You you get up, you eat breakfast. You go to work, build a time of prayer into your routine. You get ready for bed, you go to bed, build prayer into that routine. Figure out times that you can you know, put a put a block in your day of of prayer. Systems that can be just different requests that you kind of cycle through. There's there's an app called Prayer Mate that I would recommend that you you build different lists and you tell. You tell the app how many time, how many of these lists you want to pray for, how often, and then you just pull it up, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pray for this family in my gospel community group this week, and, or this day, and then I'm going to pray for, you know, this um, missionary that I'm praying for, and you can kind of go through the list like that. You can build it, and um, you can have systems like that. One thing that me and the kids do at bedtime is each day of the week, we have a, a theme, right? Sunday Salvation Mission Missions Monday, Trending Tuesday where we talk about newsworthy things that are trending and so on. Um, so we have like missionary prayer cards on Monday. We pull out a prayer card. We pray for missionary family. Kind of cycle through that. So those are examples of systems, plans. Um, just in addition to those regular routines, look for opportunities to to pray extended time. One one thing that I do um, if I have, you know, something on my heart to, to pray for, I'll look for a spot in my in my work week that I can um I can, you know I'll skip lunch and I'll take a walk instead and I'll pray on that walk. Um usually I'll have at least one day a week where I don't have any meetings for a two hour stretch or something and I can, you know, squeeze that kind of prayer walk into my day. I just plan ahead for that kind of thing. So those are are structured ideas for us, and then unstructured, this is, this is just the, the habit of, of prayer. Right? If we have a, a desperation for God, if we build habit of prayer, then our minds will just pray throughout the day. Right? A lack of prayer is a lack of faith because we don't think that we're desperate for God. We don't realize that everything we have is, is reliant on him. One source of unstructured prayer is, is having real deep relationships with with people, like in in our church. And I was thinking about the the Scott family recently. They had the health issues, and you know I I know them, right? I know little Josely that that was struggling so much. She, I, I remember one time I was holding open my door for her. She was walking in, and she said, "I love you, Mr. Aaron." <laughs> Sweet little Josely. That's I know her. I have relationship with her, and and I'm burdened to pray for her when she's sick. We should have that kind of thing in our, in our church family that, that leads us to prayer. So, a little bit of application for us. What's it look like for, for us to put these ideas together and get to knowledgeable intimacy? So, number one, if you're not praying at all, just start praying. Right? There's, there's no... God, God loves us and cares for us and, and He would rather us talk to Him even if our Theology isn't perfect, right? If you are praying and and you want to build in some some of this formulated truth, I I have a list of um, of biblical prayers that that we can think through, right? So, I think we yeah, Psalm ninety. There's good theological truths in there. You know, a few verses that you can pull up that Psalm, read through Psalm one forty six that we started with today. That's a that's a good one too. Um, The Lord's Prayer. You know that's a famous one from Matthew six, and then um, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. These are these are Paul praying for those churches that he's he's writing to. Those are great ways to to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. In Ephesians, we pray that that our brothers and sisters in Christ would would know their hope, know the community and the saints, know God's power. You know the the phrase of the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you that, that pretty much directly comes from, from Ephesians chapter 1 that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and we pray that our brothers and sisters in Christ would, would understand that Philippians 1 knowledge and discernment that lead to proper values we are talking about this in gospel community last week when we were talking about the kingdom and um, you know, living out the kingdom is, is doing the right things Right, and so the prayer that that our brothers and sisters in Christ would would know God's will and, and know what you know, know His character and know His way, so that they can approve the things that are superior. And then Colossians one nine through twelve, I think this one's my this is my current favorite. Um, you know, we pray that that we would know God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. I think of, you know, putting these prayers, these ideas, similar to to learning how to spell, right? My kids are in elementary school and they're having spelling tests and um, the other day, we're talking with Ruth about how to spell gas station. And we know that because it has Asian in it, it has ATION. Right? There's we talked about all the, these other words that, you know, have Asian in them. You know, abomination, and nation, infatuation, fixation. Like they all have that. And so you know when you hear Asian, you know it's A T I O N. And similar to as you're learning to pray, you know that, you know, these are the things that you can pray for. These are the things that these phrases that that become familiar to you as you maybe you're reading them the first times, but you say it, you know, for everybody in your gospel community group, and all of a sudden it's you just internalize it. So we pray always because we're desperate for God and because we want His will to be done. We want His kingdom to come. But we still see lots of brokenness in the world. We still might want to give up. So let's look at, let's answer that second question of why should we not give up? <clears throat> Number one, the main answer to this, ultimately, because Jesus didn't give up. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, let us run the race with endurance that, that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God he endured the cross for the joy that lay before him in the wilderness he was tempted by Satan in the garden of Gethsemane he was in anguish he said father if you're willing take this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done I said his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground he was in deep anguish but he didn't give up and that's why we shouldn't give up. Another reason, because God won't give us up. We don't give up because God's not giving us up. As we know Lord, the Lord, as we know His character, as we build that knowledgeable intimacy, we can trust Him more and more to not give us up. John chapter 10, 27 to 30, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. This reminds me of when my kids were little, toddlers, and a little bit learning how to walk. We're walking with them. I'm holding their hand. They trip on something. And if I wasn't holding on to them, they would fall flat on their face, right? But gravity is not going to snatch them out of my hand. In the same way, our Father is holding on to us that nothing in this world is strong enough to snatch us out of God's hand. God won't give us up. The last reason we shouldn't give up that we see here in the, in the verse is because Jesus is coming back. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He'll be looking for us to be faithful, for us to be persistent in our prayer, We talked about that a couple weeks ago, being being ready for Jesus to come back consistently, constantly. We don't give up because it matters if Jesus finds us faithful when he returns. One thing that I don't I don't want to ignore is that this world is is hard. There's a lot of injustice in the world and, and sometimes sometimes we don't see justice in this lifetime. You know, we went through Exodus before the parables and, and the Israelites were in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. Slavery in our own country, hundreds of years. There were people that were born, lived their entire life, and died as slaves. That's hard. It's hard to, to say that God swiftly grants justice when some people don't ever see it. I, don't, I, I can't give any kind of trite answer, but, but we know that, that God is just and, and we know that if we are in him 10 billion years from now, after worshiping him for 9.999 billion, we will be able to say that he swiftly granted justice. Right now, in your experience of injustice, bring those cares and concerns to God. Bible is full of of lament of complaining to god right we don't want to we don't want to complain about God, but we want we want to take our complaints to him we want to lament to him pray that he would be himself to us so we pray always we pray for for god's will to be done we don't give up what's our prayer request similar to this widow, we pray that that God gives us justice against our adversary. First Peter five, eight and nine. It says, "Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith." So we pray for justice against our adversary. In the Bible, the words justice and, and righteousness are are kind of the same root word, the same idea. A lot of times we, we think of justice as, as more narrow, more specific, but, but, but we're praying for, for righteousness, for justice, for God's way, God's kingdom to come, for our adversary, the devil, for his way to, to shrink. We want God to make things right. And so our prayer is working for for the kingdom. Right we, last week, Patrick was talking about valuing the kingdom, you know of, of it being like a treasure like a priceless pearl. and so you know, as we value the kingdom, we want the kingdom to to grow, and we want to pray for God to make his kingdom grow to for justice and righteousness to to happen. as we pray, we're doing that work, we're making it. On Earth as it is in heaven, so we need to persevere in that we need to plead for for God to to be himself you know we know you 're just God we know that you 're so much greater than this judge and so that so we persist and we plead for him I'm going to read a quote from from the Lord of the Rings it 's one of my favorites um, for those of you who don 't know its it 's a story of um, this, this evil ring, this evil guy, the Lord of the Rings, Sauron, if he gets this ring back, he will be too powerful for the good guys to, to win, right? And so the Frodo, Sam, they're, they're taking the ring to Mordor to destroy it. And it's a, it's a long journey. It's just them. They, they had left with, with a group of people, and, and they're alone, and they're struggling. And Frodo says, I can't, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know, it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. Sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. When the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't, because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. So just like Frodo, Sam, Mary Pippin, Aragorn, Gimli, all those, they were willing to risk their life for the good in the world, for the good in Middle Earth. How much more should we be willing to persist, be willing to to do everything for the kingdom? Right, there's there's some kingdom in this world, church, and it's worth fighting for. We need to pray always and not give up. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for you are, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you that we can trust you. That you are just. That you want your way on earth as it is in heaven, even more than us, Lord. We pray that that would be true, That that your will would be done, that we would be part of that, part of your mission, part of growing your kingdom together. We love you. We're so thankful for the kindness that you have shown us through Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen.